Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, divorce attorney, Dennis Vetrano, and we're at episode number 11. Don't forget, if you want us to answer your question on our podcast, email it to podcast at gmail.com. So let's get right into it. I've got a really juicy one today. And forgive the expression. I know it can be difficult for people, but this is one I get all the time. Look, how do you know your spouse is cheating on you? And I think the bottom line is, you don't know until you know. But here are some tips you can look for to determine whether or not your spouse is cheating on you. And keep in mind, nine times out of ten, these things start really innocent, innocuous. Friend at work, coworker, someone they share interests with, someone they share experiences with. And it starts with an emotional affair really before any physical contact takes place. So here are some indicators that they're involved in an emotional affair. Number one, schedule changes. You see all of a sudden their schedules all over the map. They're leaving early. They're coming home late. They're not coming home for lunch anymore. And, uh, and you just have no viable explanation for why. Number two, they're really possessive over their phone or their computer. So they're up late at night. One in the morning, two in the morning, you know, kind of shielding their phone from your view, emailing. Uh, honey, what are you doing in the other room? Uh, nothing. I'm just finishing up some work. I'm just finishing up some work, some emails. And yet you never get a really good explanation as to what they're doing, and they never want to let you see their phone. Um, number three, they're unreachable, and you get no response if you text them or, or call them. You say, hey, I might be coming home late from the grocery store. Text. No response. You call them, hey, are you coming to the ball game? It's quarter after five, and you're not here. No response. And I don't mean just for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. I mean hours at a time. Number four, the telltale sign of the cologne or the perfume on the shirt collar or, or the dress or the sport coat. I mean, listen, it doesn't, take a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to smell whether there's Dracar or there's, uh, or there's some other new cologne or perfume on your spouse's clothes that you don't recognize. Number five, they're completely checked out when you're having any level of familial or or marital interaction. So, and this can include sex. I mean, they can seem like they're completely checked out when you're having sexual intercourse. And you'll know. Believe me, nobody knows your spouse better than you do. Okay, so you see these indicators. What's your next step? What do you do? Because a lot of people are seeing these things. And some of them don't mean anything. And some of them are proof of an emotional affair or the beginning of a long-term affair with someone else. So what do you do? Well, you got to start thinking like a lawyer. Listen, I've been a practicing litigation attorney for over two decades, and I will tell you that trials require a supreme level of preparation and organization. So what does that start with? That starts with essentially a a very uh, uh, complex a comprehensive list, what we call in our business a trial notebook. Get together what you know, okay? What witnesses do you have for any of the behavior you're seeing? What are, what are the types of things that they've told you or they've said in passing that in some ways can be, can be deemed as a tacit admission of some level of behavior? Um, what have you observed? And again, you get back to 
being possessive over the phone, being possessive over the computer, you know, fluctuations in work, um, in their work schedule. Gather all of the information you know, your observations, your witnesses, in a meticulous list with dates and times, and now you've got the, the logical equivalent of a lawyer's trial notebook. Now you go through it. Okay, I can't tell you, I used to prosecute child abuse and neglect, and I can't tell you how many cases I prosecuted where when I was preparing for trial, that's the ultimate test of your case. The ultimate test. You go through your trial notebook. What evidence do you have? What witnesses do you have and how strong are they? What observations have you made? What interviews have been conducted? Um, Go through that list meticulously, and I will tell you 90, 90 plus percent of the time, when you get to the end of that list, you're going to probably know a couple of things, okay? And many times what's going to happen is it's going to confirm your suspicions, and you're going to say, hey, here's my five points that I have in my list, and I know three of these are really reliable, or all of them are really reliable, or none of them. So you may say at the end of the day, hey, those five things that I thought were suspicious looks like they're really provable. They may very well turn out to be fact. Um, now, what I hope is that at the end of that analysis, you'll end up that none of them will be provable and you'll say, well, you know, these were just a couple of things that, you know, hey, they've been stressed out a lot lately because of money or because of make, trying to struggle to make the mortgage payments, so they've been checked out a little bit. I get that. Or there's been a lot of overtime at work, so, you know, their schedule has been fluctuating. Or there's a new project that they're working on that their coworker has to come over. You know, they have to stay late at work to work together to get that project done. And those things will turn out to be, like, you know, relatively innocuous, not really anything you have to be concerned about. But I think at the end of that preparation and review of that proverbial trial notebook or your comprehensive list, you'll know. And I think that's the point at which you'll say to yourself, either I go to the next level and start my own level of informal kind of, uh, uh, you know, unqualified um, private investigation, or you hire a private investigator just to ferret those things out. Remember, this is not the point to say, and, and, and it's not the goal here to say, once I get this list together and I, and I review it, oh, that's it, they're cheating on me, I need to get a divorce. That's not what I'm suggesting. This is all in preparation. You are now preparing yourself to have the conversation with your spouse, to discuss it with them. And again, you're preparing for that conversation, just like I would call a witness at court and have that conversation in the presence of a judge to determine whether or not those things are true. You're going to be doing the same thing. And all of this preparation is for that conversation. And again, once you have that conversation and the reason why you'd have that conversation, once you get yourself prepared for that conversation, is to gain honesty, clarity, and be able to arrive at a decision that, listen, what are we doing with this marriage? Is there an affair? Isn't there an affair? And, and regardless of the answer, where do we go from here? What do we do now? So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to episode number 11 of Divorce Stories. There you have it, some tips, some guidance you can get to determine whether or not your spouse is cheating on you. And regardless of whether or not they're cheating on you, you know, how do you start preparing for that conversation with them? 
uh, because I think that's the ultimate goal. So again, don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to hear us answer on our podcast, email them to divorcestoriespodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for tuning in.